Here we go. Brand new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I'm Steve Cashel, joined by my usual co-host, the one and only Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, one of the team physicians for the Chicago White Sox sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Our website is Sports medicineweekly.com. Dr. Cole, how are you this morning? Steve, I'm doing great. Wonderful to see you. I can't wait to ask you about this as we lead off our show. I saw some great pictures on your uh, Instagram account. Uh, Your Instagram handle, by the way, is uh, Shoulder Knee Doc, and I understand you went through kind of an interesting climb not long ago, huh? Yeah. uh, uh, More than a week ago, we climbed Mount Baker. It was awesome. It was about eight of us. Uh, really started training over the last f- four months. Where's Mount Baker? Okay, so Mount Baker is about, it's outside of Bellingham, Washington. So Washington State, you fly typically into Seattle. Okay. Then you drive, we drove about two hours to Bellingham, stayed overnight. And then on a Friday morning, we got up very early and drove to the trailhead, which is around 3,300 feet for Mount Baker. And then what you do is you basically climb and set up base camp at about 5,500 feet. And there, it's a completely glaciated, uh, glacier-covered mountain. There's not a lot of snow cover right now because it got very warm, but there's just tons of crevasses everywhere. If you go to my Instagram, uh, you can see at Shoulder Knee Doc, you'll see some unbelievable pictures and a couple of videos showing some footage of us crossing these snow bridges. So basically, you know, first of all, I'll tell you, it's a good thing to do because it gives you a goal to train for. So we, this is what was kind of required. We um, set up base camp in the afternoon on a Friday, and then did some training and some rescue work so you learn how to rescue each other if something were to happen or you'd go in a crevasse and things like that. And then um, we, you try to go to sleep at uh, 7 o'clock p.m., which is brutal. So that's really hard. Despite it being you know 7 o'clock there, 9 o'clock here, it's really tough. Uh, it's about four hours to hike in, so you're not really that tired. And then we get up at 1 in the morning, and we... Uh, Broke trail by say two fifteen two thirty something right like that in the morning because you want to go early so that you summit before a storm might happen, and then um, and then we we climbed for it took us about seven hours to summit. Uh, we we summited around ten a.m. and the skies were perfectly clear. Uh, there was like two really hard parts. One was a wall called the Roman Wall. Or, yeah, it's, yeah, the Roman Wall, where we had to be sort of top rope to get up. You have to be roped in to get up. And uh, we walked across a number of snow bridges, which some of which were pretty narrow, and that I don't do well with because you look on either side and it's just like this abyss. I see that across. on the Instagram. That's yeah. why I said, did anyone fall in yeah, one of those? No, it doesn't. I mean, you can fall. It can happen. But sure. you're roped to the person in front or behind you, and uh, they're supposed to basically keep you from going down, and then you have to get yourself out of there by a certain technique. Thankfully, it never happened. And then once we got up there, we hung out for about a half an hour. It's like 11,000 feet. And uh, we walked down and we we, or we we climbed down. You climb down with cramp, you know, you have crampons on your feet, those pointed, you know, uh, they're like, you know, pointed spikes on the bottom of your hiking boots. So you got to get used to that. And then when you climb down, you basically often will be climbing straight down on the glacier. So you got to plant your feet and walk straight down. So climbing down is brutal. And there were uh, actually on the way down, there were two women who were, one of which had never climbed before. And she was, her, her, her boot was falling off, her crampons coming off her boot. So we had to stop for about an hour and a half to re- sort of rescue them, get them off the mountain. Jeez. So we got delayed coming down. So usually climbing down is like a third to half of what it is going up, even though it's way more painful because it's the front of your knees. Uh, it took us almost as much time to get down. And then we're like, let's, we're done when we got down to base clamp. So we, we 
got all our gear. It's about 50 to, it's almost 60 pounds when you put all the stuff, you know, the tents and everything else. And, uh, 20 plus hours later, we got out, uh, back to our cars by eight, eight o'clock that night. And, uh, in, uh, at the, at the base and, uh, went for dinner and but it was a tired great. dinner, right? Um, yeah, all of us were tired. Cause the night you try to go to bed at seven o'clock, you can't fall. I mean, I, a couple of the guys slept. I can't do it. You know, I was like a rotisserie. I kept doing like three sixties <laughs> in my sleeping bag. You know, I just wanted to be one in the morning already. Just get up and go. Yeah. Cause I knew I wasn't going to sleep, but the training was awesome. And as I was saying before, I think the best part about doing this is that when I would normally come home and not like I was, do, I would lift or do legs or something, you know, in the morning that are like a pre requisite for doing it's like being you know this is like being on a 20-hour stairmaster with weight on your back okay wow. that's what it's so you have to train that way and no one wants to be the weak link so i one of my partner adam yankee lost almost he, well, he lost more than 30 pounds so the point is it gets you in shape that you would never otherwise get into and i was coming home normally i wouldn't run or do cardio at night i was doing cardio at night you know just because you just don't want it you just want to feel good you don't want to feel miserable the whole climb and i actually felt good except for my feet um, but the training was awesome. And, and 11,000 is not super high altitude. I mean, there's things you can do to altitude train, you know, like there's high altitude training facilities and you can swim, do things underwater and so forth to sort of increase your hemoglobin, which is your blood count to get you to carry oxygen better. But I think at 11,000, Rainier we did was like 14 and you feel 14. Is that the most you've ever done? 14? Uh, yeah, I think Rainier is a little more than 14. And that was, that was harder because there's tons of snowpack and it's going up to your knees. And you got to, you know, you got to pack on, then you got to get your feet. And I'm not very tall, so you got to get your feet out of the snow, get on top, and you, you know, each time your foot just drops in a couple of feet. So that was like three hours of trudging uphill. What's the danger level? Um, I, you know, I think it's it's um, well, first of all, the unpredictable, which is weather, right? But if you knew something, you, you know, there's pretty good information now. So if something bad was coming in, we would probably know it ahead of time. Um, so I think, but that, that's not always true depending on where you are. You can't get out of harm's way for this particular climb. I think it was the crevasses. I mean, they were, we walked over a number of snow bridges and it was pretty warm at some point. And, um, you, there's a definite feeling of uncertainty. I mean, some of these snow bridges that you walk between one side of a crevasse and the other and, and the way down is, you know, it, it looks like it's thousands of feet, you know, in reality, it's probably hundreds of feet. Uh, but Scary it looks enough. like it goes on forever. Like it makes your heart drop when you look over the edge. I mean, watch the video on my uh, Instagram shoulder knee doc. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so I would say that's the danger is slipping and falling into a crevasse, you know, and then there's just like this stuff like blisters and, you know, ankle sprains and, you know, things. Everyone did really well. I mean, the whole group did awesome. So, so after, great. like a, like Dr. Adam Yankee said, one of the docs from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, was this his first time? He had done some other hiking, but okay. I think this is his first legitimate climb. A little climb different than crampons. hiking, right? Yeah, this is a lot different because it's, you know, you're roped in and you're you're using crampons, which you're not used to, and you and it's just dr you know just drudging one step after another. So it's definitely different than hiking. And there's some scrambling and rock climbing too. You know? But my question is, after the person does it for the first time, yeah. they're looking forward to number two already. They said, "Wow, that was so worth it. I can't wait well, to do this again." I mean, you know, or between me and you, it. It, it, it's exhausting. It, when you get to the bottom, you're like, and then you're, you know, the way you feel, you're like, this kind of sucked. Like the last, <laughs> never like, do the this last again. like the last eight hours, you're like, I just got to get off this mountain, you know, when you're coming down. Yeah. Um, but then when you're done, you know, I think the big thing is there's a camaraderie. All of us had like this, you know, text email thing going for the last, you know, couple of months and, you know, riding each other about training and posting videos and sort of teasing each other. And um, so it's part of that. Then it's like, the, it's the journey. It's like getting the proper equipment. That's kind of fun. 
and then you know and and then being together and you know the dinner beforehand and you know going through the whole thing together there's not much i do like i don't play golf like you you get your guy time when you play golf you right, know, your four right. hours or whatever it takes it, yep. you you know i don't have any of that so this was completely you know off the grid no phone and that that for me is meaningful. Like I had nothing else on my mind other than just get the climb done, have a good time, and enjoy the guys I was with. And I liked everyone I was with. So listeners out there might be asking, "Wow, Dr. Cole did the Mount Baker climb in Washington State. If I want to get a group of guys together or women together, how would I go about yeah, that? Yeah, so that's a great question because like the first time I did it, I used my friend John Golden, who we've had before, who works with Exos. Um, in fact, John's whole life changed after he started climbing, and so he got me into it. I, so I didn't. I had him, but people who want to do it, I honestly, I would. Our main guy, and I'll you know I'll give him a shout out. His name is Mark Smiley, and uh, his where? Uh, he is. Boy, I'm gonna say he's um, on the West Coast, and it might be in the area of around um, Seattle. But it's his his Instagram is Smiley's Project. He's a legend. There were people coming up to him. He has like forty thousand Instagram followers. There's people coming up to him on the mountain. You know, you have your hood on, your helmet on. You can't tell who's who. Right. And like, are you Mark? I'm a, I'm a huge follower. I'm a big fan. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know we had a a legend as a guide. So he's really well known. So the point is, you get someone who does all of it. Like tells you what you need. He has training training videos. Gives you a training program. Gives you a list of what equipment you need. And if you don't want to buy it, you can rent it when you get out there. And you need someone to guide you. But I would, and you, I would never do a climb without a guide. Like those two women that we came across, they did not have a guide. That's crazy in my mind. So, um, uh, and they have to get permits. So there's a lot of logistics. So it's nice to have someone sort of lead the whole show and 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 give you, you know, sort of an A to Z approach to doing it. So I would say that if you're gonna do it, find a guide or a guide, a group that will give you all the information. Don't try, try to figure it out on your own. You got to learn how to train. You got to know what food to bring. You got to know what equipment to get. So there are logistics involved that you're not going to know if you've ever done it. But I encourage anyone who's interested to do it because you'll it will force you to train. You're not going to want to be out there suffering. So you're going to get into a whole different mode, you know, for training that you wouldn't normally do for anything else. Let's move on, Dr. Cole. Boy, it's uh, marathon time, right? People mm-hmm. have been training for the Chicago Marathon and marathons uh, kind of all over the country, all over the world. But let's talk a little bit about the sports medicine end of that. And it's always great to have the exercise, nutrition. That's big. But um, let's face it and be honest: people can be limited by soreness and recovery. Correct? It's a, it's a big problem. I mean, even if you're not training for something as intense as a marathon, when you bring in or introduce new exercises and so forth, because you're trying to mix it up, prevent that sort of motor memory, um, recovery becomes really important because of soreness. You know, just you do a new exercise, it can break down sort of muscle fibers. They need to be rebuilt. There's uh, so nutrition plays a role, like we've talked about. Uh, but there are a number of recovery modalities. So training for something as intensive as a marathon is uh, is a bit of a science, and especially if for people who have limited time, you want to do it right, and recovery becomes sort of paramount to your progress up to the point of the race. Our next uh, guest is an expert uh, talking about marathon training tips from Athletico. She is the facility manager at the Athletico at Lake in the Hills Clinic, Karen Shanahan. Karen, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. What can you do if you start to feel soreness or injury in the few weeks leading up to the race? The thing you can do is not be afraid to stop and take a rest day. Majority of the training has already happened, so taking a rest day and doing some cross training can help. The other big thing is if you're having injuries and pain that is lasting after the workout, you want to definitely make sure that you're reaching out and getting some medical attention. Um, to ensure that you're able to start on race day. 
So what? So when you're saying cross training, let's you know most people when they're at certain phases of marathon training are are increasing their mileage, right? So what are some of the things that they might do to sort of mix it up a bit? So things such as riding a bike or using the elliptical are lower impact swimming. Um, all of those things can help increase your cardio while decreasing the amount of stress on the legs, which typically tends to be the problem at this point in marathon training from the overuse from getting so many miles in. Now, um, I know in therapy, people can walk in, get an evaluation. You don't need a doctor's prescription to get you going. Um, and they so in your situation, like when would it be a good time for you? Because, you know, frankly, coming to an orthopedic surgeon for this is probably not the best place to go. Uh, it's not the most efficient, and it's, you know, it, and it's, I think going to you is often going to be better than coming to me. So when what are the cues that someone who's training uh, should say, you know what, I need to go see a therapist at Athletico, uh, do a walk-in visit, get an, get an evaluation? So if you're having um, mild aches and pains that disappear the next day, don't really affect your training, that's okay. You don't really need to see someone at that point. But things that um, would cause you to start limping or cause you to alter your activities, both running and working out-wise and day-to-day activities um, at work and at home, you definitely want to go in at that point. Um, And like you said, you can come directly to physical therapy. Um, Some of these things, it's just teaching the right stretches and um, a few different exercises to target those areas and can get you on your way. Obviously, if things are a little bit more involved, then we definitely need to get a physician involved. Our guest is Karen Shanahan from the Athletico Facility at Lake in the Hills at Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole, talking about marathon training tips. All right, so what, what are some tips, Karen, to uh, for the weeks and days leading up to the uh, the race? So you want to make sure that you are continuing with your training plan, but if you are noticing anything that is causing you a problem, you know, to Take a rest day. At this point in time, it's not going to hurt you to take a day off. Um, Making sure that you're eating and hydrating properly to um, fuel your body to do these um, workouts leading up to the race. Continuing to stretch um, at this to decrease any muscle tightness. I was I was going to ask you what about you know if you're what are some of the recovery things that someone can do on their own that you might suggest? Um, Good recovery things. Um, doing some gentle stretching or using a foam roll to help um, increase that flexibility. Um, Getting a massage can be helpful. Um, You want to make sure, too, that immediately post-run or post-release that you're avoiding heating while it can feel good at the initial time. It can increase flow of the air, increase inflammation that we want to avoid. So using things such as ice that can be more beneficial. All right, Karen, great stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks for your help. Again, athletico.com is their website. And Karen Shanahan, our guest here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Thanks for the marathon training tips. Thank you, guys, and good luck, everyone. All righty. Let's take a break here on Sports Medicine Weekly. When we return, it's our staple of the show, our Ask the Doctor segment. Stay with us. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole, Sports Medicine Weekly, only on 670 The Score.
Back here on this Saturday morning, Sports Medicine Weekly. Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole. Time now for the staple of our show. It's our Ask the Doctor segment here on Sports Medicine Weekly, giving our listeners the opportunity to have Dr. Cole address their specific sports injury issues. You can get involved very easily. Go to our website on our homepage. The website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. And on the homepage, you'll see the picture of Dr. Cole and yours truly. Just click on that link, and you will be able to ask the doctor a question. Ready, Doc? Got some good ones for it today. Yeah, I'm in. Challenge all right, me. All right, here's the first one. Uh, comes from a listener. Which is better, Dr. Cole, treadmill or outdoor running? Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things that kind of depends on your goals. They each provide different benefits. So uh, outside running might provide more muscle activation because your feet kind of have to grab the ground around you to propel you. Uh, and in contrast, a treadmill does some of that work for you by sort of feeds the bell to you. Um, running outside is a little less predictable um, and uh, is, as far as activating more muscles. I will say that you know running on a stiffer surface like asphalt or concrete, that's going to provide more ground reaction forces, and that can actually give more load to your joints and your bones and so forth. So I would say if you're training for an event and you're on a treadmill, that may not mirror what that event, if you're doing a 5K or a half marathon or marathon, I think you probably have to be a little careful about doing too much treadmill running because your joints aren't used to the load. So you get definitely get more load transmitted to your joints when you're outside versus on a treadmill because uh, they're really designed to absorb... Like, like what we call ground reaction forces. So you can actually limit the amount of load to your joints, and you may not have as much post-running soreness when you're on a treadmill. Um, I think it's a little easier to train uh, at speed and interval training on the treadmill because you can control the environment. You can turn it up very quickly or down. You can also control the incline. So as far as like doing HIT, uh, high-intensity training, things of that nature, I think a treadmill gives you more variability. But, you know, the biggest problem, Steve, is it's just so boring. It can be very boring, you know, if you don't have TV or anything like that. I've actually started to listen to podcasts while I'm on a treadmill just to break up the monotony. But I think nothing's better than a great outdoor run for uh, just to clear your head. But if you're really training for something, I think treadmill uh, can really translate into significant gains for outdoor running if it's used responsibly. But I would say mixing it up is probably pretty important. How about mixing it up underwater, Dr. Cole? I was reading a story that um, I believe it's in India where they now have these sports injury centers that have um, these... Underwater treadmills that they have at the centers, actually? Yeah, these high-altitude training hypoxic chambers, ah, right? Got it, got it. Which is yeah. interesting. I mean, so I'm picturing a treadmill underwater with head above water. Now, the bulls have something like yeah, that Yeah, so training they, they do. And that's not, a, you know, so when you're recovering from injury where you can't tolerate high loads, but you want to get into the running moment, yeah. so you can use a gravity-eliminating treadmill uh, where, where you basically put on this, like, almost like this diaper that reduces, and it's in a chamber that reduces gravity, so that, and you can do it by percentages of body weight, or you can actually do it in water, which is pretty traditional. So it's a it's a less weighted environment, and you can control it based on how high the water is. So it's a, it's a treadmill, it's a treadmill belt, if you will, at the bottom of the pool, um, and then you're basically retraining on it. So we use it a lot for athletes that are recovering from lower extremity injury where we're not quite ready for them to put the full body weight, you know, what we call that, I just commented, that joint reaction force. We're not wanting them to transmit all those loads upstream. So we reduce the load by filling a tank with water and they're running on a treadmill, but they start to get running down. It's a very good way to introduce increasingly higher impact activities. We do it after ankle sprains all the time uh, with the Bulls and, 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 uh, and many of our other athletes. That's really cool. Yeah, really it cool. is pretty cool. Let's move on to uh, question number two for Dr. Cole. Is exercise good for patients with osteoporosis? 
This is a big one. You know, people often think about osteoporosis as affecting only women, but it affects men too. And I think uh, the most important take home for those who are trying to prevent or maybe even reverse the, the effects of osteoporosis or thinning of the bones, if you will, is to stimulate bone formation. And the best way to stimulate bone formation is through load. So it's weight-bearing activities are what's really important to help reverse or at least minimize the, the decline of bone density that happens over time. So walking, stair climbing, jogging, uh, you want some type of mechanical intensity to that's, that can increase ground reaction forces. So that's pretty important. And you want to do what you can tolerate. You don't want to get overuse injuries, but load-related activities with weight-bearing for aerobic conditioning is super important. And then strength and resistance uh, exercises such as weights and cycling and swimming. Um, you want to increase muscle mass. You want to increase bone marrow density. And that only happens when you stimulate you know, various body regions. So resistance training with weights is really uh, particularly helpful. And then, um, you know, finally, sort of that what we call the multi-component exercises where you do progressive resistance strengthening, balancing, you know, doing things with the feet on the ground, so-called closed chain exercises and so forth are all really important. The bottom line is you want to load your joints in a responsible way and load your muscles uh, because that can help stimulate bones to form, uh, uh, to lay down more bone formation. And whenever I see is exercise good for patients with anything, I'm always going to say the answer is yes, right? Yeah, for for sure. I mean, there are clearly more. Uh, there's clearly more downside and detriment to not exercising than exercising. You know, I get I, I hear patients all the time. Yeah, I was doing great until I started exercising and I injured myself. I mean, I think you know <laughs> rather than when, sitting on the couch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the the things that go along with excess BMI or obesity in terms of high blood pressure. Uh, joint pain, uh, heart disease, diabetes, sugar intolerance. There's there's a a number of the most severe diseases that are associated secondary to obesity. So I would take the risk of injury and exercise all day long compared to the things that I might have increased risk for if I don't exercise. All righty, great stuff. We're out of time. Many thanks to our producer this week. It's Adam Stazinski. Also help with from uh, Shane Reardon, our coordinating producer, as always, Tracy Toro. also want to thank David Cole for managing our website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on The Score. Up next on The Score, Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Back with another brand-new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly next Saturday, 8 a.m. Central Time, only on 670 The Score.